0: Gotta tell somebody. This is someone the best thing someone. I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you need this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well it be less boring? I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. have a remarkable
1: big
0: daddy. Remarkable. 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 Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. And this week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from The Real Housewives with content marketing manager at Quora, in a town full of phonies i'm not afraid to be me it's time for me to come out of my husband's shadow and shine shayla dolan shayla how are you
1: hi i'm great happy to be here
0: excited to have you on the show we're going to talk Quora for business later on in the episode, which is really exciting and all the cool stuff going on there. We've we've advertised on Quora in the past and it's, it's pretty rad. So we're going to talk all about that. But first, why the heck did you choose Real Housewives to talk about today?
1: So I've been a Real Housewives fan for maybe five or six years now, but I think it's just the perfect show to get into at any point because... There's a million seasons and a million episodes. At this point, they've probably made franchises out of 10-plus cities.
2: Hi, it's Kyle Richards from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. The Real Housewives of Potomac. New York City. Johannesburg. Cheshire. Melbourne. Budapest. You might not know, but there are over 18 versions of The Real Housewives. Not just in the United States, but worldwide.
1: Some have been there since the beginning, some have come and gone, some have been rebooted, but they all have you're really transported into their world for that hour of the week and if you're like me and you watch multiple franchises, I picked the just the broader housewives cinematic universe. Um they each really have a distinct vibe and so it's fun kind of bouncing from one to the other. Um in New York, you have like the women stepping out in their long coats during holiday season in the city, hop down to Miami, they're panning over the clear blue water, they're partying on a yacht, then you go over to Salt Lake, they're like, skiing down a mountain and then talking about leaving the Mormon church. And then Beverly Hills, the wealth is just next level in Beverly Hills. So that one is just fun. But it's really just, Bravo does a really good job of sort of distributing it on a There's always like two or three seasons running at one time, but then as soon as one ends, there's another one right around the corner. So there's always something going on that you can talk about. And there's always something to look
0: forward to in the Housewives verse. Zooming out, tell us a little bit about your work at Quora.
1: I'm the content marketing manager at Quora, more specifically Quora for business. So everyone probably at least once in their life has Googled something, asked a question, next thing you know, you have somehow ended up on Quora.com reading an answer. That's probably how most people know us. What people might not realize is that we also have an ads platform. So if you're running ads on other major social channels, you could also be running those ads on Quora. So a lot of my work is really rolls up to serving that mission of expanding our awareness in the market and also helping advertisers be successful through organic content creation and distribution for the most part. So this comes in the form of writing articles, SEO articles, emails, newsletters, managing our organic social channels, as well as working very closely with our sales team on sales enablement and also partnering with sales and product for the go-to-market comms anytime there's an ads manager feature rollout. So yeah, largely helping people understand... Our audience, who's on Quora, why you would want to advertise on Quora, and then, you know, helping advertisers be successful with best practices and helping them ramp up.
0: Yeah, before we get into the rest of the Real Housewives universe here, I'm curious, like, what what do you think people don't know about, you know, working with Quora and advertising with Quora that, especially like from a B2B, you know, perspective that people don't necessarily like, you know, know about it, that, that maybe they need to go try it again, uh, for the first time, if if they haven't already,
1: I think people might not realize the reach that we have. We have over 400 million monthly unique visitors coming to the platform, which is definitely you know not Google and Facebook, but we're we really feel like we're punching above our weight in terms of the reach that we can offer. We've also really invested in adding more ads manager capabilities in the last few years, but I would say what. What differentiates us is that high intent audience. People are on the platform, not necessarily to scroll through a feed looking, you know, what their friends are up to, but they're actively researching information and looking for solutions. So we can really kind of align your brand's message through. We have a range of, depending on how granular you want to go with your targeting, very highly contextually relevant, you know, what people are, what questions they're asking, what answers. Their reading, as well as just broad targeting, our massive global audience. So,
0: yeah, that was that was always the thing for me when we would use Quora for ads or using the ads platform. i was so excited to chat with you today, and about real housewives, which we'll get into in a second. But just like the idea that you know people are coming there for answers, and that there's so many things that are like hyper contextually relevant, and like what a better Mm -hmm. place to be advertising than when someone is, is asking a question or looking for the answers to a question that was already asked.
1: Yeah. And we like to kind of talk about, you can really target people at all levels of the funnel, depending on what types of questions they're asking. Like, one example would just be a language learning app, you can, you know, get in front of people who are even just considering, should I learn a language? Maybe they're traveling somewhere and then all the way down to the final kind of decision-making of which app should I subscribe to and everywhere
0: in between. Yeah, and we'll get way more into how you think about getting Cora's message out via content and beyond later on in the episode. Meredith, tell us a little bit about The Real Housewives.
2: Sure. So to add to what Shayla had mentioned before, Um, Real Housewives. It's a reality TV show, and it's about the lives of these, sort of the day-to-day lives of these affluent women.
1: To a certain group of people in New York,
0: status is everything. I never feel guilty about being privileged. New York City is my playground. I run with a fabulous
2: circle of people. And it usually centers around a specific city. So like we, we mentioned, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of D.C. There are 11 U.S.-based versions, and there are like over 20 international versions now. But the original one was Real Housewives of Orange County, and that originally aired in 2006. So it was re- originally called Behind the Gates, which Bravo decided was too dry, too serious. And Bravo decided to play off two shows that are that were popular at the time, which is Desperate Housewives and The O.C. And so they decided to call it The Real Housewives of Orange County.
1: In Orange County, I
2: call the
0: shots. And it's always tequila. I live my life in HD. Sharp, bright, and more focused than ever. If you
2: want to waste my time, at least hand me a taco. And so they thought it was like much more descriptive and it also plays off of names or associations that viewers would know and love already. So that's sort of a little bit about the name. But the whole idea and like this for me is like the appeal is like you get this inside view, like Shayla, you were mentioning, of what it would be like to live in a community where the houses are worth you know millions of dollars. You don't necessarily have to work. Money isn't really a concern. You get to see how these people spend their time and the show centers specifically around Friend groups of women who are like there's usually like five to seven women in it, and they're usually in their like 30s to 60s, which I thought was interesting because an executive with NBC Universal said, like, often like women in that age group are overlooked. And so they really wanted to like appeal to that age group. And it was a new would be a new audience for them. So they were drawing in people that they weren't already attracting to their content. So as I mentioned, there are lots of different versions around the world now, and there are tons of spinoffs too, one of which we've actually covered on Remarkable, which was Vanderpump Rules.
1: This season on Vanderpump Rules. I'm glad that this is only playtime too, because it's not playtime to me.
2: And the shows are streaming on Bravo, if anyone wants to watch it. So getting to the parts that I thought were like really interesting was about the creation of Real Housewives. So one of the original producers, like according to the New York Post, his name is Scott Dunlop and he had moved from LA to this large gated community called Coto de Casa, which I might be mispronouncing. Uh, He moved in the 1980s Mm -hmm. and he was really like struck by the lifestyle of his neighbors. He said the men would leave for work and the women were left to run wild on the ranch as they called it. Playing golf and hanging out and shopping, and then he went on to say they were all such unusual humans, entertaining but also kind of annoying, which I thought was really interesting. But he pictured the show being a mix of like a soap opera and the P- there's a there was a PBS reality show called An American Family, so he thought this show is going to be like a hybrid of the two. And one of his neighbors, Gina Keogh, um, she ended up being one of the original cast members, and she's been on through like I think the through the third through fifth season. And so, anyway, Scott ended up working with Bravo, and together they decided that the show w- was gonna f- focus on women and appeal to women. So he was like, Women have the narrative, they have the power in the show, and they're the ones telling their own stories. And as for like most recent kind of like data around the show, season 13 of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills debuted in October 2023, so just a few months ago, to its highest viewership since 2020 or the pandemic when it was also going wild. I may act for a living, but I never fall for a bad performance. Who needs a knight in shining armor when you have your own horse? And they had 2.5 million people tune into the debut. So obviously, it's super popular show, has been nominated for awards, won a Critics' Choice Award. So it's Internationally recognized has is a huge franchise, but the things that really stuck out to me were like, the, I think the things that they do really well is like they give you this insider's view to this super niche group that otherwise you wouldn't really know like how they live their lives, and that's what, like what draws curious people. I think there is a little bit of voyeurism, I think, to that, but a lot of it is like escapism too. The other thing they do is they target a specific and underserved audience, so these women who like, like the NBC Universal exec said, like are often otherwise kind of like overlooked, And I feel like women sometimes see themselves as kind of becoming invisible around that age. Like I've heard that a lot. And so it's really like celebrating them and, f- and focusing on them. Another thing that I thought would be a lesson was don't expect success immediately. This isn't something that I've mentioned before, but the first takes of the show, they considered inauthentic, poorly lit. They were just like not well done, but they kept going. And they ended up producing their first season. It was well received, but they said it wasn't a runaway hit. And it wasn't until like season three that they started to really see things dial in. They had this new housewife named Tamara Barney who joined the show. And she, I guess, ended up just like, I mean, speaking her mind, she was kind of a B word. you know, And she like just told people what she thought of them.
1: I said, I I don't think that he's good for you. How do you know what's good for me? That's my opinion!
2: And it ended up creating this conflict. And so conflict really matters, right? It creates that tension. And so that's when they said the show turned from like a day in the life show to this kind of like bitchy cat fight that we kind of like know and love today. And the other thing that they mentioned that I thought was really interesting is like, if you want authentic content, just keep the cameras rolling, like keep going. People will generally drop the act after a while and stuff gets real. Like that's when they saw like these true like fights and drama break out. Whereas like in the very beginning, they were like, this feels, this feels just like people are putting on a show and aren't being their true selves. And then once they just like kept the cameras rolling, that's when they got the good stuff. So those were a couple of sort of the lessons that I, that I, you know, sort of took from that.
1: That's funny. I did not know Tamara was the origin of the drama.
2: Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's just what I was sort of, sort of looking into was that she was the one who kind of like stirred up the, stirred the pot and got people like, I mean, she made people mad at her and that was really like what, what helped with viewership a lot too. But yeah, what do you, what do you think? Like what drew you into the
1: show and what do you think they do really well? So I think it's a show that defies people's expectations. I think maybe some non-viewers out there might think, this is a show about women who yell at each other and throw drinks on each other. And though that has happened... How dare you tell me I need to f-ing go up to her? She poured water over Danielle's head. To me, that's an embarrassment. You didn't say that to her? I know, but I don't think the water was, like, that big of a deal. You're kidding me, right? I mean, water? Is this water? Yeah, this is water. All right. Oh, my God! Oh, my God! you girl. like that? You Feel did not do my- just- uh, do you like that? You no, I don't get f- like that. It it's water. Oh my God. It's only water. It's only, it's only water. Bitch. It's really about so much more than that. Like you said, first, gotta give a shout out. Most of these women are in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, honestly, they're older than we would expect to see women portrayed on screen. So I think it's pretty awesome and just really cool that that's who we're tuning in for and we're following and rooting for. Second, I would say few, if any, at this point are housewives in the traditional sense. Most of them are now, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners. We've got some doctors, there's a couple actors. After people have been on the show, they might launch a candle company. There's a few singing careers in there. So it really is about balancing family work and navigating these adult female friendships. Your husband's in the pool. What? Who threw my husband in the pool? Me and my I husband. Went. Oh, class. my God. Threw my husband Wait. in the pool? You want to hang out with that guy? I'm telling you, they're stop. I feel like the show is most successful when these women are just being themselves. Every season, they show the group scenes, the parties, the dinners but it also follows every cast member individually. And each person has their own arc that we're following in addition to when they're all the group is all brought together. And I think that is when the show is most successful is when they're really putting it out there. And some of these women, like Tamara, who have been on the show for years, we've really seen it all. You see these people get married, have kids, raise their families, get divorced, lose parents, like things that they're really open and honest about their lives. And I would say that like when they're being most vulnerable, that's when it's at its best. Like just off the top of my head, some of the things that have come up on the show is, you know, difficult issues like infertility, raising an LGBTQ child, having a partner with an illness, things that millions of people face. And I think it can be really powerful to see that portrayed on screen, particularly from women who quote unquote have it all. So there'll be still be times when I'm like wiping away tears at a scene of someone with their daughter. I'm like, why am I crying at the Real Housewives of Miami? But then the producers always do a really good job. Like 15 minutes later, they always bring it back to that point of levity and laughter. And you know, later in the episode, they're fighting in pirate costumes, screaming at each other at the table. And so it really always comes back to the group and how they navigate those things together as friends. And it's it's just really balanced really well. I think that's
0: when it's most successful. So I do not watch the show or any of them, but I have seen some of it. And I do want to, first off, second your point about the show being about women in their forties and fifties and sixties. And that is really rare and really cool. And, and if you were to look back in sort of like the TV universe, you have, you know, like golden girls or something like that, which was like a smash hit, you know, scripted series. It is rare. And I, I think that that's something that I, I literally never thought of until you brought that up. And it's such a good point. The other thing that I found really fascinating about the creation of this is, you know, the, the creators, when they were looking at it, I I find the comps really fascinating that they were looking at Desperate Housewives, which was like a smash hit, you know, scripted series, the OC, which obviously is is the OC and, and needs no reintroduction here. And then the idea that they were trying to picture it being a mix of a soap opera and a PBS and the PBS reality show, All American Family, which I've never seen. So I don't know what that's like. But I think that's a really good advice for marketers and for content creators to think of your comps. And I don't know if, I don't know how many marketers really do that. And I don't know how many content people really do that. Of like, hey, before I set out on this project, I'm gonna pick my comps. And it's something that we do when we created like Murder in HR, when we created the Hacker Chronicles, when we create some of our other fiction properties is like, as we work to create those pitches and those ideas, the first thing that we sort of think about is like what's in the zeitgeist, what are the things, whether it's historically that have done well or something that is like, again, in the zeitgeist right now that's really popular and like how can we, you know, create our own unique version of that. And then also starting from sort of like the heart, right? Which is he, you know, Scott Dunlop saw this stuff happening in his gated community and said, oh, that kind of would make a cool TV show. And then sort of, you know, filled in all these comps and and sort of figured out how stylistically they would want want to make it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like that's just such a great part. And it's something that we, we don't do very often, but it's so important. And once you get the sort of like we do a lot of mood boarding when we're creating a series and it's super important to get a mood board together and to think about your show and how it feels and stylistically and all those things, and to start getting some comps together and all that. And it's kind of elementary, but if you do the exercise and then you say, well, what is going to be different about this? And what's so fascinating at the end of all of this is like, I don't know if I ever made the comparison to all of the Real Housewives franchises and larger cinematic Bravo universe being modern-day soap operas.
1: Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives.
0: If no one can begin themselves, then you all go home. I give you permission. All go home. I'm decorated. I'm cooked.
1: This is MacDonald Carey, and these are the days of our lives
0: until i we were talking about it i'm like holy crap that is a total reimagination and reinvention fueled by social media fueled by you know being you know all this sort of stuff oh my goodness like it just like now it's so obvious. And I don't know the you know statistics on soap operas or who is engaging those or who's watching those right now. So maybe that didn't take their audience. But for a generation of people that, that probably did not grow up watching soap operas, now you have this thing that took its place. That's just so fascinating to me.
1: I feel like you can tell too, the best housewives they're thinking about it, you know, or if they're trying out a new housewife, sometimes they'll bring someone in just as a they call it a friend, they'll say friend of so and so. And that's what they put in the, the lower thirds where they put everyone's name. And like, if you're a friend, and you're making it to the dinner scene, you're kind of expected, like, you got to start some drama, you got to, you know, create the plot, like move the plot forward. And I feel like these women are thinking about that. And it's just funny, like things that will happen during the show. So be cool. Don't be all like uncool. Why? Okay. Or even even like someone live tweeting or posting or something while the show is airing, it gets brought up during the reunion and creates, you know, more plot. And then now there's a conflict that's, carrying into the next season so it's just funny because I feel like they're thinking about that while they're on screen and and that's kind of what makes it successful
0: you know you never know how much is producers how much is the people you know the the women who are doing it you you never know like what is planned versus not planned versus you know whatever what I find interesting is that nobody cares like you don't <laughs> right like that's it's something good tv
1: that,
0: yeah yeah right like like yeah. that's something that that it's like like to make a comparison to a very male dominated thing, sort of like WWE wrestling, right? Where it's like, yes, it's like to the outsider where you always you're like, well, that's not real, and then the person who is a fan is like, a, I don't care, b, that's not why I'm watching it. Like, so you don't even understand what what you're even watching there, and like, you know, someone falling off a ladder at twenty feet in the air, like that is real (laughs) physics is real (laughs) so you know you know in certain parts of the scripting so I, i think it's interesting that like a critique of the show that you might be able to make if you're not a fan of it is like well you know that is scripted or that is whatever and that's something that like does not matter at all to the fans of the show
1: yeah do to me housewives is real do they get scripts i i don't know. Do producers maybe tell them, hey, you should confront so-and-so at this dinner? Maybe, but it makes excellent TV. I think it's a great lesson in content distribution. If you think of one individual franchise, just say Beverly Hills, because it's airing right now, as kind of like a cornerstone piece of content, you have the show itself, people are tuning in once a week. Then you have... I don't know if it's three or four, but three or four nights a week, Andy Cohen is doing Watch What Happens Live.
0: I want to play a little game because collectively my guests have spent decades upon decades filming The Real Housewives. But now that we've had drink upon drink, it's time for them to spill the cider. I want to play Every Time a Bell Rings, A Housewife Gets Her Wig.
1: Where he is hosting other people from the broader Bravo-verse, but very often it's heavily Housewives where... Now they're discussing the episode that just happened or the latest drama or what's going on. Then on top of that, each cast member is their own brand ambassador. Every day that their show airs, it's probably in their contract somewhere. They do a social media post about it, reminding people to watch. They're also often live posting during the show or maybe reacting to things that they haven't seen yet from other people's confessionals. Then on top of that, you you know combine that with the multitude of podcasts, blogs, meme accounts dedicated to recapping these episodes and like talking about the funniest moments. Hello, hi everyone. It's Danielle Schneider. I'm Casey Wilson. Welcome to Bitch Says bonus content. Danielle. We wanted to get into some nitty gritty housewives stuff. The stuff that we haven't really been able to do on the actual podcast. It's really just like a content machine and it just keeps on giving. So I think it's just a really good lesson in all the different ways that you can slice and keep using the same content.
2: Yeah. And it sounds like people are making their own like memes and stuff too with the characters and like
1: specific scenes from the show. Is that true? Totally. Or like there'll be something that in the moment it's not funny, or it's kind of cringy, or people are in an argument about something. But then, like for example, there were a few blowouts in Salt Lake. This, I don't know if you've heard, it had one of the most explosive finales probably in Housewives history, with the reveal that came at the end, and. I know who you really are. (laughs) Who you really are. There was a few times when, you know, people are yelling stuff and it got remixed into like a club remix, like the lines that the person (laughs) was yelling. Um, (laughs) And the, the, the housewife like reposted it on her Instagram story of like the club version of it. I just got this devastating information.
0: What did you find out? Are you kidding me right now?
1: What's about to go down could change our friendships forever.
0: Forever. Forever. Monica
1: is not who she says she is. Okay. She's not our friend. She's someone that has schemed and worked to infiltrate our friend group. Okay. So it's just funny. Like, they'll, even if it's unintentional, of course, like, If you've ever like you've probably seen a reaction gif of like NeNe Leakes from Atlanta, like everyone everyone has seen one. Maybe you just don't know it yet. But even things that are unintentional, they kind of reclaim it and it becomes part of their brand and their persona.
2: I feel like if you're one of the Real Housewives, you have to be so open to just like you're going to be made into all of these memes and like have a sense of humor about it and be like okay i'm going to i'm going to claim this for myself too
1: i would say like for the most part everyone takes it in stride even like some of the confrontations that happen on the show they're always like i swear the the most recurring line of any of them is how do we move forward they're always talking about moving forward they'll say the craziest things to each other and then they move forward so they they kind of know we signed up to be on the show. People are going to talk about it. People are going to have an opinion on what to say. But I think that's another thing that has made some of the most successful housewives. There have been, you know, times when maybe I don't, I wouldn't want to be friends with someone or I'm like, you probably shouldn't have said that to that person. But they apologize. They move forward. Like they own it, that that's who they are. And All right, I would like to say something. Hello, everyone. Um, I just wanted to apologize to the group uh, about my, you know, actions yesterday. That's normally not how I act. I might feel one way about someone in season one, and by like season three or four, uh, my opinion has totally changed because they're like a three-dimensional person who is being themselves. That's that's super cool.
2: Yeah, I yeah. love the the like change of heart where it's like you kind of get won over by somebody. And it might be that they are kind of cut through, but that they're real,
1: (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And fans will kind of say that, like, I don't know, on social media or on blogs or podcasts or whatnot, someone might say, oh, so-and-so's not having a good season. And maybe they're going through something and they're like lashing out at people or they're not being open. And you can kind of tell maybe there's something going on. But, you know the next season they're having a redemption arc. Like someone that was maybe doing something I didn't agree with last season, now I'm like fully there to support. So it it really, your opinion can change, yeah.
2: That's super cool.
1: I think, I mean, I feel like the distribution is the biggest. A lot can be said of, like Meredith was saying before, it took, I actually did not know that it took until three seasons to kind of take off, so trusting that you're onto something good and, you know, not, we can all rely on data, but sometimes you got to rely on vibes and just believing that what you're working on is, is going to be worthwhile while testing at the same time. They're always bringing in and out new women trying different things. So a combination of both really has what, what's led to the expansion and the success, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we just see, I mean, Hollywood is riddled with so many projects that were killed, you know, after one or two seasons or whatever it is that go on to be, you know, hugely successful. You know, some of the most famous shows of all time. I mean, you know, you look at like Arrested Development got canceled, or like I think Family Guys gotten canceled like five, I don't even how three or four times. You know, it's like you look at so many shows that got canceled. And I think that like we as content creators, we get super upset. Like we've had shows that got canceled at Caspian where the person is like devastated and they're like, I can't believe our CFO would axe this, like, this is working. We see results. We're seeing this. And so that stuff is like hard to deal with, obviously. But I think that like, if you know in your heart that this thing needs to exist or should exist or the way that you're approaching it is unique and interesting, like you do have to go off of, of gut because like we are people and we are humans and, If you think it's good, it doesn't matter what the topic is. Like I can watch an episode of of Real Housewives and it's not not my favorite show. And I can tell like, oh, this is extremely well-made and well-done and you can see why people would love it, right? In the same way that I could watch WrestleMania and be like, I totally understand why people love this. But I think that so many people like lack the conviction. The other thing that I would say there is that so many projects like we get really embarrassed about the amount of options that are out there. And I hear this like every day of, well, why would you create another one of this? Or why would you create another podcast? Or why would you create this? And I, I've i said it before on other shows that like, I think it's just like a very big loser's mindset to to think about that of like, thinking about ways that you could lose or why this would fit in is, is not a productive like way of creating anything like no artist or creator, you know, it ever needs to make the thing that they needs to make. Like, you know what I mean? Like Da Vinci didn't need to make a, a single thing or whoever it is. And so I think that it's just like, you have to be in creator's mode and you have to be thinking of new things and new ways, and new ideas. And part of that, as you saw when they like originally created this show is extremely close comps that are like hey do we need another show about you know about the orange about orange county right like they could have said that or they could have said like do we need another show you know about housewives you know literally with housewives in the title but they didn't do that and then you could ask yourself like do we need another Housewives show altogether of like, do we need to move into these other cities? Or how many of these need to do? Or do we need 13 seasons of of Real Housewives? And so I think that there's just so much to take away from the longevity and the commitment that Bravo has made to these series, to all these women.
1: I've been an actress in this business for a long time. I've done glam for my job. Half the time you guys see me when I meet you, I'm coming from set i am
0: denise richards kyle i don't think these bitches know
1: i've been on like every magazine cover you can possibly imagine that they
0: would want to be on to to you know seeing the demand for this and meeting it in in different and new ways and innovating on that stuff like you said bringing in new people having people leave creating spin-offs create all of that and you can tell that the executives there truly believe that this type of stuff needs to exist and should exist and entertains an audience beyond just the single property, beyond just like, hey, this one thing, like they could have stopped it five seasons and never made any of this other stuff. But they they saw that there was a massive, you know, demand for it. And they were right over and over and over and over and over again, with some losses along the way, for sure. But, but I just think that that's like really commendable because it's hard to do that.
1: Andy Cohen has been pretty transparent about it. I need to read his book, but I know it's like mentioned in his book. like there'll be people who are on the show for many years and but they'll have the hard conversations if viewership's falling off or uh, they definitely monitor monitor qualitatively the social media discussions happening around individuals as well as seasons overall and they we'll call someone and fire them if it's not working out and bring someone new. There's been a few people that they they call it putting on pause. They they put them on pause, which was kind of like a nice way of please don't come back and maybe there'll be something in the future and some don't come back, but they did. So people want to see the Housewives that have been put on pause. They created basically, basically like Housewives All-Stars called Ultimate Girls Trip. Cheers, baby. It's the St. Barts. The OG bitches are back. Oh, I'm
2: wondering if there's going to be some cute guys there. Oh, there's always somebody to f- We need a new pirate.
1: Where they take women from different franchises and put them together on vacation for a week, and they did a whole... One, I think it was it was called like ex-wives club, where they brought back all these housewives that have been fired because people love them and wanted to see them back on their screens. They did that for they've done two other iterations with active housewives. But I just think it's funny. They still all have a strong audience. They have their own podcasts. like people want to see them.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's, it's hard to do to make decisions like that, especially hard decisions when it comes to talent. Because you don't know and there's not enough great data out there to like really know, right? If someone watches your video or reads your blog post, they're not responding to, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how much did you like this piece of content? Like maybe you have some type of feature on there that hopefully can track stuff like on a general sense, but we don't get that type of feedback. They don't know how much you love it. They don't know if it's your favorite show in the world. You know, they could see number of people were watching, you know, in that first episode or in the first hour, you know, like those type of metrics, which is a proxy for that. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't talk about, you know, are you making podcasts about it? Are you telling your friends? Are you doing those things? And so again, it goes back to like, you have to make those those tough judgment calls. And I think that because it's not scripted and you can't just write in new stuff you have to be a little bit more agile. And I think that's a great takeaway for B2B marketers because like for most of the content that we're doing, the vast majority is nonfiction. The vast majority of it is involving, you know, executives or thought leaders or things like that from our organizations. And sometimes you have to make the tough call like, yeah, this person isn't good in the content and we need to bring somebody else in who might be more junior or more senior or, or whatever it is. Or maybe we have to platform this person because they are important strategically to our company. They're really bad at at this and we need to figure out a way to make them a show or make content for them that fits their strong suit whether it's like you know helping ghostwrite for them or whether it's you know creating more short form stuff or putting them with a certain type of co-host or all those things and like we do more of that like in our content world we're more like that Real Housewives producers most of the time than we are like producers of of a different type of a show.
1: I've never thought of myself like that but now I will.
0: (laughs) All right, let's talk Quora for business and the types of stuff that you're doing. What what types of content are you creating? How do you think about content strategically to get in front of businesses that that should be using Quora for business?
1: My strategy, like you said, we got to be agile. It's We've iterated a bit since I started, I would say. So I've been there almost a year and a half at this point. When I first started, A lot of it. First of all, was my first role in ad tech, so getting up to speed on like our platform, the messages that resonate, the most important features, building relationships with our customer success managers and our sales team, who are the closest to the customers, making sure that you know everything I'm putting out there makes sense and is will resonate. We were also going through a little bit of a rebrand at a time at that time, so some of the early projects was really like ensuring brand inconsistency and a uniform experience for advertisers. 2023, we could say it, it was a tough year. It was a tough year for everyone, but definitely for advertisers, I would say. So we were a little bit limited and just in terms of, you know, a lot of it was focusing on let's retain advertisers that we have without necessarily having a ton of frivolous budget ourselves to try crazy stuff. So I tried to use that as an opportunity to really focus on some of the foundational pieces that I thought were maybe missing. And I don't know if you follow Emily Kramer from Market One. She talks about random acts of marketing, which oh, I think yeah. is funny. And I was like... i the OG. I'm doing- <laughs> I
0: absolutely love Emily.
1: She's awesome. I've never met her personally, but I, I follow her newsletter and podcasts, etc. But I was like... I'm doing that. I'm doing random acts of marketing. And let's see how we can kind of get this more structured. So really bringing order to processes and following kind of like how the housewives have a recurring schedule, like, let's get these cornerstone pieces of content, like identify what they are, and put them to a timeline of like, we're a small team, so we need to be able to allocate resources in the most efficient way, so when we're updating things, when we should work on you know this versus that so basically twenty twenty three I was trying to put a lot of those pieces in place in in the form of foundational pieces for SEO um establishing with our sales and customer success what are the most needed kind of sales enablement onboarding materials, how can we scale outreach, double down on what's working. And so I'm really excited now, new year, new us, 2024. And I'm really excited to build out the flywheel of distribution and really get it going and trying new formats that maybe we don't have a ton of right now. I'd love to be doing more video and just testing out different paid distribution channels that we didn't really have the flexibility to try.
0: Yeah. I love that. I, you know, it, it definitely was a hard year for everyone. And obviously money is tight for a lot of companies and figuring out how to advertise and where paid has impact there. And I think that, you know, I think it feels like, you know, headwinds are changing a little bit and 2024 should be a little bit different here and people are going to be a little bit more, you know, adventurous with their dollars and which is obviously exciting. How do you think about like small company versus big company? Cause I know like anyone, any size company could, could work with Cora for business, could, could advertise there. But how do you think about creating for small versus big?
1: That's something we're sort of discussing internally. We try right now, we try to service both. We do, you could go on there right now and create an account. And um, really, there aren't, many differences it would be whether or not you have a customer success manager assigned to your account maybe you it's a little bit more high touch building media plans for those bigger brands but the core functionality is the same in terms of like themes of content we really do try to showcase that audience and that's something i've been working sort of implementing our seo strategy Letting people know the types of people that are on Quora. I think we've we've all been on Quora, but you know, letting brands know your audience is on Quora, you just might not know it yet. People are talking about hundreds hundreds of thousands of different topics. And so I really have been trying to spotlight who our audience is and why you would wanna get in front of them. Just like every other social platform that comes to mind, there's people just like you and me on Quora and it's it's a great audience for for any industry.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Like I, I know that I, to me, that's like obvious what's, you know, it's funny. It's like, it's so obvious to me that, that like our prospects are going to be on Quora. Like you said, it's, you know, 400 million people. Like does there's like monthly, like there's, there's a massive number of people that are on there. So I think that that makes so much sense. And, you know, it's something that when we, when we chatted, I literally hit up our marketing person. I'm like, hey, have we thought about using Quora in a while? Like, I know this is something we did a long time ago. There's just so much broadly going on in marketing at an, any different time. And like breaking through the noise of that to be like, hey, why should we try this thing versus whatever? Like how... How could you not want to just take 10% of your whatever meta and Face and Google spend and just spend it on Quora this year and see how it goes, right? It's like if you haven't done it in a couple of years, like how could you not want to do Why that? Why not? Right? I think it's something that from a content perspective, if you're a content person, which majority of our listeners and we think about that, this is a place where people are asking and answering questions, which is inherently what content is like you should be using it for your own content to see what people questions people are asking and mm-hmm. creating content off of that. And you should be putting your ads in places where people are asking those type of questions. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's just something that sometimes you just need a shot in the arm.
1: Totally agree. Even if, you know, someone's not necessarily ready to allocate budget to it, there really is a ton of organic marketing you could do on Quora just by going on creating a profile, you could create a business profile, you can create a profile as the CEO of a company, you can leverage influencers, even just asking and answering your own questions on there, whether or not you're running paid ads, or even just using it as an idea bank for what types of questions are people asking about our service and kind of how can I get in there? It's like, there's, there's active conversations already happening. So why wouldn't you go in and, you know, position yourself as a thought leader.
0: I love it. How do you think about like the ROI of the content that you're working on and how it kind of broadly fits into your your overall marketing goals?
1: It's hard. Of course, we have, you know, KPIs. But for content specifically, I'm always trying to... The pieces that I'm working on always roll up to maybe broader goals of driving and growing our website traffic, improving metrics like that for social distribution. We I work closely with our marketing ops and sales ops person to track things as best we can, but every marketer knows sometimes like things just, you know, you you can't always know everything. So what I always try to do just qualitatively or more anecdotally is make myself available and like ready to help the ROI driving members of the team. I really go out of my way, especially for in a remote first company, to build relationships with our sales and customer success reps, whether that's scheduling one-on-one meetings with people just to like intro and have some, you know, brainstorming or strategy sessions, but you know, sharing things, sharing updates or wins and Slack channels or through email or attending cross functional meetings i really try to kind of drive home the idea that i'm there and the broader marketing team is there to partner with you yes there's projects or content pieces that i want to work on this quarter but I really i want to help the team win and i want to help them scale their wins i'll i'll maybe ask you know what i'm very open to feedback I'll always have people review messaging, make sure like I don't want us to put something out there that's not going to be helpful, and I don't want them to view it as we're sort of siloed doing our own projects, just as one example, not too long ago, one of our reps who I've built a good rapport with in the since since I started reached out to me a little before the holidays that they had. An unexpected kind of last minute meeting come up with a client that basically an opportunity to pitch like a media plan for 2024. And, you know, if it went well, it it would pretty much lead to immediate revenue. So even though I was working on my SEO article, I kind of backburnered that. That was a more longer term thing. And we're lucky we're a small team that that we could do that easily without necessarily going through all the approvals or Like red tape of a larger organization, they could just reach out to me directly. But we pulled in our designer. We spent about a week totally customizing the deck. They flew out there. It went really well, and pretty much led to an immediate large budget increase for more in twenty twenty four. So we take that back to the team. We share it, you know, with the rest of the sales team. I come to you know the next week's meeting and just keep reminding people like we're here to help you. Just continually reminding members of the revenue team that I'm there to partner with them.
0: I love that. That's awesome advice. Any final thoughts on content or or campaigns or stuff that you're working on or, or things that you're excited about for 2024?
1: I'm really excited that I do feel like we sort of put in the groundwork to be in a great place to try new things. You know, am I necessarily... Doing things the way the Housewives would, telling people off and like doing crazy things. No, I'm not really, not necessarily following in, in that way. But I'm really excited to just try new ideas that we haven't been able to yet. And if anyone's interested in starting Housewives, I would recommend Beverly Hills from Season 1. Seasons 1 and 2 deserve Emmys. And that kind of gives you like a good baseline to, to step into the universe. But just in terms of like advice, again, not pertaining to housewives, but what has helped me be successful in different roles is, like I said, building relationships with cross-functional team members and really aligning myself with subject matter experts in the company. Before, like I said, this was my first role in ad tech. So really getting up to speed on the market and what matters most and building good relationships with, you know, our customer success reps who talk to talk to our clients every day. Prior to that, I was at eMarketer, which is marketers probably have seen eMarketer charts, like ad spend forecasting, like aligning myself with the analysts and always having like a second set of eyes on things. And even before that, one of my first marketing jobs was a digital marketing agency for industrial manufacturing clients. So I was like writing blogs about reciprocating pump valves and CNC metal stamping machines. Like I did not go in there knowing about that, but just like humbling myself, getting to know the engineers, being extremely open to feedback has really helped me kind of like be able to create content that resonates in different industries.
0: Love that. Shayla, this has been wonderful. Chatting with you, our listeners, you should go check out business.core.com. Thank thanks you guys again, so again. much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining, and we'll talk soon.
1: Okay, I'm going. I waited half an hour for you guys. I'm out of here.
0: Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies, so if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at CaspianStudios.com. Hollywood-style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.